Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. We're about to have done 300 of these. Can you believe that? I guess I can. I'm not sure if that's a great milestone or not, but it's a milestone just the same. Hi, everyone. It is the 11th of May. 2022, and it is time for Morning Combat, episode 300. Sparta! Dumbass movie. All right, anyway, hi everyone, I'm one half of your hosting duo. I join you from uh, the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C. My name is Luke Thomas, joined by the Viceroy of Connecticut. He may have the haircut of a 10-year-old, but he's a 43-year-old man. <laughs> it's Brian Campbell. What's up, Brian Campbell? <laughs> <laughs> oh luke oh luke uh doing well hump day episode 300 as you mentioned uh what a uh, you know who would have thought luke who would have thought chemistry wise that you and i could last this long right you know i mean i just had 15 years of real marriage last week but 300 times up and down that 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 road with you Hey, here, look at us, Luke, right? You know? Look at us now. Can you believe it? Both of us. Boy, look at the ceremony. We're really rolling out the red carpet for this treasured memory we're yeah. about to have. Neither um, of us knew about this memory, by the way, until like 6 p.m. Eastern yesterday. But that's... <laughs> yeah. that's that's, uh, that's how we do it around here. Uh, today will be a fun one. We've got some UFC news to get to. We'll start the weekend storylines. There is a UFC event. There's a Bellator event. And there's actually a really good boxing event by all standards. So we'll talk about some of the storylines there, plus your fan subs. Plus, we're going to do the newlywed game. Now, BC and I don't have an act. We, well, we, we have an editorial sexless marriage. <laughs> in that editorial sexless marriage, we're we're going to do uh, the game where it's like, oh, what's your what's your partner's favorite movie? And we've already been told <laughs> by the head producer, he goes, "You guys did not do well." <laughs> so this will be interesting today. BC, are you excited to play the newlywed game? You know, any segment that we roll out where I'm not, you know, creating it and driving it, I get a little nervous, but uh, we'll see what happens, okay? All right, very good. Uh, as a reminder, if you want to catch Showtime, because Friday is Bellator Saturday, of course, it's going to be Charlo Castaño, too. You can get both for free. You can go to Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. BC, I see you've got the merch on deck, on, on, on well, on display, really, there, with the yeah. shirt, with the mug. What's going on at the store? I've even got a copy of this poster that you can get on morningcombat.store if you want to, you know, light up your dorm room. 
or your my, my they sent me one who uh, i think rj dunkelmaker sent me one yes. and my daughter tore it up completely without me oh, looking my. immediately so i, I was mean dude that's that. not a surprise in your house not a surprise uh in my house nobody would have noticed it which is similar to how your family has uh <laughs> has fielded most of your accolades luke but uh thank you to rj for loving on us you can go to morningcombat.store he's got some great creations uh no deals or anything today but look we've done this 300 times for you so uh, if you ever thought about jumping on board the ship fits great okay that's, that's the best thing we can say you know every morning this could be you okay this could be us but 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 you playing how about you go to morningcombat.store and get involved all right this how good does this look Luke? i mean this is great all right it looks really good um, it's like a shot glass size, unfortunately, but besides that, it's great. You know? Yeah, it's not really a full cup of coffee. It's like the one you have four times a day, but it's all right, nonetheless. I've already had uh, a rain energy drink, and I've had a cup of coffee, so I'm ready to rock. But on top of that, BC, let's see, uh, morningcombat at gmail.com for Wednesday's fan subs, Friday's dead wrong. And, uh, oh, yeah, here we go, BC. I wanted to say, you know, I start my day with coffee, but I should be starting my day with AG1. Have you started your day with AG1? Dude, I got AG1 up in this bottle right here, Luke, because one scoop, one tiny scoop a day of these fine uh, vitamins and, and, and you know, energy-producing supplements inside your body, Luke, it, it doesn't replace everything I'm not giving myself through my diet. But you want to talk about building that foundation, changing the way your body feels and, and reacts? This is a great shortcut to that if you're looking to start on down that road. Let me tell you that much, Luke. No doubt about it. Of course, it, it supports immune health, gut health. Um, obviously, it gives you, we have 75 vitamins and minerals, adaptogens, probiotics. I mean, this thing really sets you off correctly on your day. And BC, easy to travel with it, is it not? Exactly. I got the travel packs. It's one scoop every morning. Go on your day. And, you know, it doesn't taste like super healthy, but it tastes clean. And I can use that, and I love it. And, Luke, when you get these special blend of ingredients together... You know it's supporting your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, even helps in aging. Dude, it's not that hard, and it tastes great. What, what are we missing here? You, you know, what, what, what's, what, what doesn't it have, Luke? Why, why can't you commit to this thing? Because I of can. you? It's, Is it a it's, you thing? It's, you know lifestyle, I mean? it's lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, it's less than one gram of sugar. No GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. And you know what I like best about it, Luke? The price, okay? It costs less than $3 per day. So you're basically investing in your health, and yet it's still cheaper than that cold brew habit that you have, Luke. I do like the cold brew habit, though. Uh, taking athletic greens is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. And, you know, who else believes this? How about 7,000 five-star reviews for Athletic Greens, which is also trusted by leading health experts? I'm talking about Tim Ferriss. I'm talking about Michael Gervais, baby. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And, Luke, they know that Luke and BC make it look easy how about athletic greens making it easy by giving you the free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and the five free travel packs i use them they're great you get that with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash morning combat again that's athleticgreens.com slash morning combat to take your to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional 
insurance. Look, before you transition, did you see John Morgan's breaking news tweet? I did not. What is it? 50-year-old Houston Alexander is back. He's going to a co-main event slot in BKFC, and he says plans of retirement are now way off in the distance, Luke. Okay. Um, That's, you know, it's ill-advised at best. (laughs) Um, Okay. I mean, that's very important news, you know. I mean, if he didn't throw the Kimbo fight, he should have at this point, Luke, right? I I don't know why you're so convinced Kimbo couldn't win that. I mean, when you're ready to deal with um, uh, Little Nog's true value, so to speak, Luke, I'll be meeting you on the other end of that conversation. About is this one of your Tower 7 conspiracies, or what is this? I mean, I can't comment publicly on any of that stuff, Luke, okay? I mean, right. thank you. I mean, I believe in a, a few. But, you know, to be fair, conspiracies used to be, I mean, they're addicting, but they used to be fun. And then, you know, like the MAGA people just ruined it, Luke. They did ruin it. Well, I mean, they ruin a lot of things, but... Uh... Yes, they also ruin conspiracies. Okay, let's get to this one if we can. Topic number one. This was kind of announced on Saturday night, but we really didn't get a chance to get to it given when we were going over the results of the fights themselves. But the UFC 276 fight card was announced. Now, why is this relevant? Well, this is not merely the one in early July. This is International Fight Week. So we have our International Fight Week card. This is traditionally considered to be one of the bigger UFC cards, if not the biggest UFC card of the year. And here is the fight card as we understand it. Uh, it'll be Israel Adesanya, Adesanya, however you want to call it, versus Jared Cannonier. Of course, that'll be for the middleweight title. Alexander Volkanovsky, Max Holloway, featherweight title. Sean Strickland versus Alex Pereira. Hey, BC, did you see Sean Strickland's tweets about <laughs> trying marijuana for the first time? No, I didn't. Are they? Uh, are His they, review was he didn't like the way it made him feel. It made him feel sluggish, and that was really unfortunate in the event that he had to kill someone at a moment's notice. I was like, oh, wow. that wouldn't that wouldn't be my, my review of weed, but uh, yeah, okay, this is a this is a stupid sport. All right, uh, I mean, Lauren Murphy. If, if right. I found out he grew up loving Cannibal Corpse at this point, I'd go, I get it, I get it. No, I guarantee you, dude. People who like that are into the are into like the, that. It's nonsense. Not that it's like real. You, you got you got it all confused. Anyway, uh, Lauren Murphy to versus Ramstein. All right, Luke. Thank you. Yeah, that's a little bit better. Lauren Murphy versus Misha Tate. Pedro Munoz versus Sean O'Malley. Andre Muniz versus Uriah Hall. Jessica I versus Macy Barber. Brad Tavares versus Drickus Duplessis. And then Robbie Lawler versus Brian Barrino. There might be some other ones added to it, but this is the official one um, as we have it today. BC. Rate the International Fight Week card for UFC 276. I'd say very good, not great, very good though. And obviously, uh, sometimes all you need are is I mean, God, sometimes all you need is one great fight. But certainly, sometimes if you have two great title fights atop the marquee, it can cover all sins. This has two great title fights. Believe me, I'm a, I'm one of these uh, hardcore sleepers that Adesanya Cannonier is a very interesting and fun fight. But you add in the trilogy of Max and in Volk. I mean, come on, that's great. From there on down, Luke, I think it's missing that one shiny third jewel, right? That that Gaethje Chandler, that Hamzat Nate, even though neither of us really wanted that specifically. You do get Sean Strickland and Alex Pedeta, which I love. I don't hate dude, on Lord it's missing. It's missing Conor McGregor. That's what it's missing. Well, he's not ready, but I, I don't think it's necessary. I think you just I, need I that, that third way. special fight, Luke. A lot of times that third... Like, this could... If, you t- if it was Joanna... Versus Whaley 2 as that third special fight, 
It's a great card suddenly. I mean, freaking great, Luke, okay? Yeah, it's but here's what that. I mean. When I say it's missing Connor, I don't mean it's missing Connor in the sense that he's available and they should have put him on it. Of course, if he's not ready, he's not ready. What I mean is, the like, for, like, for example, over the weekend, I was I always check to see YouTube trending, which will change depending on your country's results. So I'm only looking for the U.S. market and what it has the following Sunday and Monday. But the only UFC 274 video that showed up in the U.S. after the fact was just Israel's reaction video. Like, he just did a reaction video. And then, but, but Canelo was, like, number one or number two. Now, of course, I'm not trying to make a one-to-one comparison here, but I'm really pointing out that what Connor brings is just a certain amount of pageantry and scope and casting a halo. I don't even care about, like, his fight or how meaningful it would be for the sport. Rather, just how it lifts everything up and gives it a greater... It gra- gives it a greater grandiosity about it all. Um... Like, if he was fighting, I don't know, uh, what would be the right one, right comparison here? Maybe not maybe not Masvidal, but if he was fighting, I don't know, for the interim title or something like that, or if he was fighting just straight up Charles. Can you imagine if him versus Charles was at the top of this card, how crazy it would be? Hey, GSP, you're basically saying water is wet, sky is blue. I mean, we get it, Luke, okay? It's not, not, this isn't Connor level, no, you know, there's very few Connors. This is is the point I guess I'm trying to make. If you look at the historical fights, UFC 264, which was the previous international fight week, was Poirier-McGregor 3. So there you go. It, it actually had that. Before that, Usman Masvidal. Now, that was over in, what you call it, in Abu Dhabi. Before that, Joan Santos, Cormier Miocic, Whitaker, then Ridicor, uh, UFC 213, Whitaker Romero, UFC 200, that, that you know was on that one, UFC 189, McGregor Mendez, UFC 175, Weidman Machido, UFC 162, Weidman Silva, and then UFC 148, Silva Sonnen 2. So there's been these real central figures in the sport. I guess you could argue at this point uh, that Israel has taken that role, but it yes. does seem to me that like the, the, the cards have usually featured the sport's biggest star at the time or something approximating it. Maybe that's a little bit off here. Israel has the accomplishments and the growing star power. What he doesn't have is the the confidence of the casual buyer who wants guaranteed action. They don't always get that from Izzy. And I think that's one thing that has held him back, now, although I'm not blaming him. But, like, yeah, Connor would be different having, you know, if this was John Jones Stipe at the top, I think it could be a little bit different. But, I mean, you have you had the star power of Izzy and Max – and the Max fight is, you know, legendary with, with Volkanovski here. Uh, this 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 is a huge card. I think you're just missing what normally Nate Diaz or Jorge Masvidal or whoever that special third Ariel Hawani people's main event tag is on there. You don't have that. Strickland Pedeta is like a hardcore fans version of that. And I love the Lauren Murphy-Misha Tate fight. Like, it's great. O'Malley against a, a live body, it's great. The sum of the parts Whoa, in the end. Whoa, that's, that's unfair. Pedro Munoz is a top-ranked bantamweight, dude. He's very I, I know good. How, I know how freaking good he is, and I know how great this fight is. But the whole, the whole you know, Carnival 10 covering it is we're finally seeing him against a live body. So what I said still matches up. My point is this is more sum of the parts that makes this card very good. It's missing that third giant figure to make it great, and I think even put it on the level of a Connor card or you know DC Jones two or whatever the the big sexy thing is that's getting you in the building. I'll say this: two two seventy four had a greater top heavy throw at least on paper. Obviously Rose versus Carla sucked in the end, but at least on paper we had three top fights. This one doesn't quite have that, but I'll say this card is just much deep, dude. UFC two seventy four after the main card, and even then through the main card. 
it fell off pretty quickly after the top three fights if you're just looking at the quality of it. This one has yeah. much deeper quality. Also, what I would say is there needs to be some recognition that Izzy's popularity has grown dramatically. I think you're right that he hasn't quite fully penetrated the consciousness of the deepest recesses of the uh, casual fan base. He hasn't pulled that part yet. Like obviously, you know, reaching that takes a Connor level. And there's a, there's a pretty considerable gap in popularity between him and Connor. But what I would say is, in terms of where he was even a year or two ago, his popularity has exploded relative to that. And you know, obviously, the YouTube channel, his self promotion, everything else is a big component. Winning the fights, being undefeated at middleweight is another component. I'm just sort of pointing out there needs to be some recognition that whatever people are saying that he lacks relative to Connor, okay, fair. But whatever he's uh, lacking, he has improved dramatically from a recent time frame ago. Absolutely. Also, Cannoneer is a very good fighter, but there's not a lot of, like, you know, heat between them per se. Yeah, but but this card, as you mentioned, like, some deep, interesting storyline matchups, even in the less relevant fights. So, overall, very good. A lot of depth. I love it. Luke, I like the idea of looking back what you did when you went through the recent International Fight Week main events and sort of looking at... You know, how does this one rank to the best we've seen? But what really is the best we've seen? I think one thing you have to consider when doing this, and it was like a story I seem to end up writing every year for a row in a row there after joining CBS Sports, is there was like that eight-year stretch where either the main event or a prominent co-main event member was canceled like a week or two weeks before. It was almost like a cursed card. Of course, UFC 200 fell victim to that in, in a giant way as well. But when you look back, you know... We did have Connor in at least one of these, right? The Mendez one from 189, which, God, did did Ireland travel for that one. Mm-hmm. Which one do you think stands out as, like, that's the one? We do this a lot with the MSG cards because there's been four or five of them, and, you know, three of them have been, like, through the roof, top ten, all-time great. What do you look at here? Yeah, so uh, to answer that question, for the MSG cards, 205 would have to be the standout, right? Like, that would have to be its greatest Or example. 217. I think they're they're dead even, Luke. They're dead even. Oof, okay. Yeah, two, okay, yeah, 1A, 1B. Pick your 1A, 1B. But they're, they're, I mean, that's what we're talking about. For these, obviously the biggest at the time felt like UFC 200. But I don't know that it played out in, a, in that way. Um so I'm going to say, ooh, that's a great question, BC. I'm probably going to say the one that felt the biggest in the time in which it took place. Again, UFC 200, because it didn't quite go the way it was supposed to. I'm going to say 189 McGregor Mendez, because that was supposed to be the first McGregor Aldo, right? If that, or I think that's right. And they had to yes, delay it. That they was, had to delay yes. it. And then, and then Mendez took it on short notice and gave it to McGregor pretty, pretty, pretty well early until McGregor staged that unbelievable, not unbelievable, but pretty, pretty important dramatic. and dramatic um, comeback. Pretty dramatic, yeah. yeah. Dramatic comeback. So then you had also Lawler McDonald, maybe one of the greatest MMA fights ever, quite candidly. Uh, Stevens Bermudez, which is, which is a fine fight, Nelson Thatch, and then uh, Almeida Pickett. Wow, that's a fucking lifetime ago. Okay, but still, you, dude, McGregor Mendez and Lawler McDonald on the same fucking card, that was crazy, dude. Yes. That was crazy. No, no, that that was that was freaking massive. And and I think what you meant to say was, you know, also the best fight in Robbie Lawler's extensively great action fighting career, Luke, the McDonald fight. I mean, that's the one. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you can't take two girls to the dance, Luke, okay? You got to take one. I, I, see, I disagree with people on this. I actually feel like Lawler's best action fight is the Condit fight. Luke, do you um, not you do you not realize I'm I'm doing a bit and playing into the fact that you believe that and that you're wrong. Oh, it's a great fight, but we've already been through this. We've already litigated yeah. this discussion, Luke. You lose, okay? 
I don't, I don't think I do. I think the Condit fight really stands the test of time, particularly that fifth round. But I will say that Lawler McDonald is an incredible, incredible action. Fight. I mean, this—that's yeah, among the most. Br- you mix the brutality with the stakes, dude. That's the fight, man. That the it's amazing, of- dude. I'm not. I, you, you will never hear me say a bad word about Lawler McDonald. It's everything everyone says it is. But I also just feel like people are underrating Lawler Condit. That's all. Um, 200 got hurt, of course, by losing the John Jones Cormier match. Right. This obviously there was enough star power to keep it together, but do you think because of who Amanda Nunes became, really, really with this fight, stopping uh, submitting uh, Misha Tate there to win the championship, and that was the beginning of her great reign, that this will age in some weird fine wine retroactive way? Because when it happened, you were like, "Oh, this is the main event." Like, okay. You know what I mean? And that now, God, that kicked off the Amanda Nunes uh, run. And obviously, you still had Lesnar winning. God, look at this card, Luke. You had Aldo Edgar. You had uh, the last vintage Kane Velasquez performance. Yeah. Remember, uh, he hit Brown with a spinning wheel kick, I believe, if memory serves. And the star power of DC Anderson Silva, which, you know, didn't overachieve or even live up to what we thought, but still was endearing in its own way. Will this age better because of Amanda Nunes? Or you don't care? Yeah, probably don't care. I don't. I mean, the, the the problem with that was like the Nunes Tate fight wasn't all that competitive. I mean, Nunes just kind of brutalized her pretty quickly, right? Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So for that, Broke and then nose. Aldo Edgar, Aldo Edgar wasn't competitive, but it went the full distance. Like Aldo beat him up basically for twenty five minutes. So for me, like for example, like you're asking, like rel- you didn't ask this question, but I would just put it in this way: like relative to UFC one hundred, what was more exciting? Dude, UFC one hundred was historic, not merely in its construction but in its execution with Dan Henderson sleeping Michael Bisping the way that he did and, and uh, George St. Pierre beating Tiago Alves and then uh, Brock Lesnar just smashing Frank Mir. I mean, this was not only you know important results and big fun fights, but like crazy dominant finishes. Um, or, you know, uh, in the case of Aldo and, or excuse me, in the case of uh, St. Pierre and Alves, it was competitive for a time, but, you know, he had to really overcome a, lot, um, a very difficult opponent. There was just a lot more action that was, I think, fun. That one was just kind of, I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with the Nunes Tate fight, but it didn't. Exa- it wasn't electrifying for whatever reason when yeah. the other when the other ones were. I think that's the difference. Cormier Look, Miocic, you, 226 is also a pretty good one because he had Lewis and Gone. Well, that well, no, let me actually, interrupt you and say this: that as you and I have the benefit of looking up and down the list at all the the main pay per view cards that have happened on International Fight Week, dating back to UFC 148, dude, we missed it. That UFC 251 card from just recently. Dude, hear this for five fights on a pay-per-view main oh, card. Yeah, that's for, pretty good. For July 4th weekend, Usman Masvidal is your main event. Volkanovski Holloway 2. Jan Aldo for the <sighs> vacant title. Nama Yunus Andrade Part 2. And yep. Amanda Hibas against Paige Van Zandt. Like, oh, shit. I mean, that was that's that was prime good. pandemic, Duke. Luke, but that's... I called you Duke. Wow. Uh, Duke Rufus. But, Luke, that's... Um, that's that's got to be the best. Look at it, top to bottom, man. Yeah, that's really, really good. I can't believe UFC 148 was Silvason and two Griffin Ortiz. Jesus, I cannot believe that. And then um, Kong Lee, Lee and Cote and Maya yeah. and Kim. That's crazy. Yeah, you're right. That pro- but the thing is, Usman versus Masvidal one, as we know, played out on paper, kind of. And Volkanovski Holloway two was a phenomenal fight, but it did leave a sour taste in a lot of fans' mouths True. if they, were, especially if they were Holloway fans. And we had to watch Josie Aldo get rabbit punched like 50 times, right? Well, Jan was still the better guy that night. But, yes, it was also the bad stoppage. Remember Leon Roberts was the referee in that one who's usually quite good, and I think he didn't like his performance, and he left because he didn't want to referee any more fights. So you, know, you have to give – Yeah, he, you know, he did it by, of his own volition. Like, if he's like, I'm not on my game, I'm not going to do it, which I really respect. Um, 
But in any case, you're right. But this one's a good one, man. It's a really good one. The Lawler-Barbarina fight is like surprisingly competitive. You know what I mean? I didn't think Barbarina was going to beat Matt Brown. If he can beat Matt Brown, beating Robbie Lawler's on the table there as well. And by the way, remember, we thought he was going to be retired. I guess he got a new fight deal. So, Dude, this um, is a great fight in UFC's unofficial BKFC-BMF division of just of just guys between 155 and 170 who only know one speed. Let's just keep matching them against each other. And there's no shame in that. I love it. I, it fills out a main card, Luke. Also, Drickus Duplessis getting Brad Tavares tells you that their spot, like Drickus has captured the UFC matchmaker's attention as a contender. Like they're actually trying to push him as a contender now, um, which is a very tough fight. I versus Barber is great for uh, Macy Barber if she can get the win. Obviously, it's great either way, but, you know, Macy Barber in particular. Muniz versus Hall is a very, very tricky fight. Muniz is the guy who broke Jacare's arm and others as well, so he's really good. As I mentioned, Sean O'Malley taking on a top-ranked guy to open the main card. Misha Tate is back, Strickland Pereira. There's a lot to like, man. There's a lot to like. All right, let's go to uh, topic number two here. So this has apparently been reportedly targeted for July 30th, which, which would be the card after that, or at least the, the pay-per-view card, I believe. UFC 277. There are reports of a potential interim title for the flyweight belt being on the line between former champion Brandon Moreno and now top contender Kai Kara France. Now, this would, of course be an indication that the plans to do the fourth fight between Moreno and the current champion Devison Figueredo are on hold and perhaps Figueredo is not eligible anytime soon so they potentially are looking at this BC do you like the idea I think less so of the fight the fight itself is tremendous but the interim title being there where what is your view of that yeah this is a like a blatant abuse of power you won't complain about it too much because the ufc it's a new trend they tend to do this a lot and the trend i'm talking about is yes the champion figueredo is reportedly injured we don't know a lot of details on that but he's not ready is is at least the the point here I mean, the UFC's new model and, and game plan is anytime a champion isn't ready, then the next fight has to be for an interim title. It's stupid. It, yes, it helps them sell it better, but the fans really already know this is a great number one contenders fight, like an elite, you know, Super Bowl number one contenders fight. It's great. That should be enough on its own. So the fact that we give somebody the chance to be an interim champion here when there's just no call for it, you know, unless you're telling me that Figueroa is going to be out at least one full year. There's just not a call for it in this situation. So I don't think that is a scarlet letter on it. You know, it's yeah, it smells bad, but still going to be a great fight. Still going to lead to what we want to. But it just shows you more and more that even though there are times that I argue for an interim title just to, to spice something up, but only when it when it's worthy, like in this situation with, you know, Jones and Stipe. We don't know if Ngannou is ever walking through that door again. Plus, he's going to be out a while. That makes sense. This doesn't make sense, but yeah, I mean, you, what are you, you going to do about it? I mean, well, like nobody cares in the end, so it's not a battle worth getting into in the end, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're going to – and also, they're not making a terrible fight. They're making a phenomenal fight. They're making a great fight. And I would argue if it's a case where Brandon Moreno wants to stay busy and he the Figueredo isn't going to be ready – this would be the next logical fight you would make, quite candidly. There's nothing wrong. I mean, there's, there's a couple other ones you could make, but this would certainly be on the list of like, okay, what are suitable fights given that Moreno versus Figueroa 4 is not presently available? You, this would be first, second, or at worst, third on the list. So there's nothing wrong with that. But like the according to the reports, Figueroa has an injured finger, which is a delicate thing that you have to get right so you don't have permanent injury, but it's not a, it's not like a hamstring injury where the timeline puts you back. In fact... 
the reports indicate from Errol Helwani that he would be back at the end of this year. Dude, like, you would only make an interim title fight if the if you have a situation where you know the champ is going to be out for a while or, um, you know, you just don't know. Like, there's just a great degree of uncertainty about any potential return. Like, you just really don't even have a timeline. That's when you would introduce something like this. This is absurd but i guess they have to find a way to put another belt up or they I mean, need the a second normal, belt Luke, on the poster or whatever it's the new norm and i think it was ushered in with the ridiculous decision to make gone versus lewis and the heavyweights a an interim title bout win and gone was healthy he just said i can't fight on this date i need a couple months later and it was like you know still within five months or six months of him winning the title so it was just ridiculous but that, again, that's the new norm, but the, I think you know the main problem, there's two of them in my opinion. One, completely devalues the interim title when you do this on a regular basis, and you know some people it has no value, but you know the extension of that is I hate when somebody who was of title contention in their career but they couldn't get over the hump gets to retire and you say, former UFC interim champion, but like, yeah, they they didn't, I guess... You know, well, like, I'll say this: the one thing, the the one positive aspect from this. Well, again, the, I'm going to say it one more time: the fight itself is phenomenal. Okay, there's that. I'll also say this fight: the winner won't get pay per view points, but the winner of this fight going into the unification, so to speak, BC will. So there will at least be one fight for one fighter where they will be entitled to pay per view points, which way they they would not get, but for the bestowing of this interim title i'm not arguing that that's a reason to do these in the future i'm merely pointing out they I'm, and i'm being explicit they should not give out the interim title right but to the extent there are they are and there are silver linings available that would be one of them well let me, i think that's i think that's pretty fair silver linings playbook luke and light it on fire i get your point but all you have to do is change the rules and pay number one contender i know uh, i know i, competitors I, I, more. I, I, I mean, agree i mean this is this is not the answer to fight or pay i'm simply saying if you want to find a silver lining there's one there as for the fight itself bc i'm gonna guess you favor moreno but kai Kara france has proven to be stubbornly good and wildly improved what kind of chance do you think he has against Moreno? I think a huge chance. And 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 he, you know, he's won the last two fights, KK France has completely, completely won me over. And you had some question if the Garbrandt one was, you know, a little fool's gold or whatever, but you know, he shut that down w- with his next performance. Even in a close fight, but but he's coming on, Luke. And the thing is, I I don't I never thought Moreno was was a he's a killer. But I never thought he was somebody who was on his way to, you know, becoming the owner of an era like Demetrius Johnson did, right? And that's just because his style, although he has added submissions and his striking's, you know, fantastic. He could really do it all. That's what makes him so fun. Um, but, you know, he's going to get into some crazy fights against some very good people. So I, I think he's vulnerable in that regard because of the style of fights and his, you know, mental attitude coming in where, dude, no, I'm giving Kai Kara France a, a, a you know, is it 50-50 exactly? Maybe not because Moreno's a little bit more battle-tested on the higher level, but, would, you know, if you're Kai Kara France, you have to love what you can potentially do in this fight, especially if you can make Moreno fight on your terms in terms of the distance and the striking. This is going to be a fun one to watch. Yeah, I, I will say this. I think there's a lot more parity 
at flyweight than the fan base wants to admit. I think that they want to see one guy as like the dominant. Oh, oh, Moreno has achieved that status that Anderson Silva had over middleweight for many years, or you know, name your guy, whoever it may be. And I just don't think the reality matches up with that. These guys on certain nights with the right game plan and the right effort are just a little bit better than the other one. But I don't know if they are sustainably better than the other one every single time they go out there. I actually tend to think they're all within shooting distance of one another. I probably would say Moreno's got a few more ways to win than Kaikara France, like if it becomes a grappling battle. Um, I, th- like, I think Kaikara France is better than Moreno on the feet, but I don't think Moreno is totally out of that one by any stretch of the imagination. And on the ground, I think that Moreno has a substantial advantage. So overall, he might even still have a greater net advantage when you add it all up. And so for those reasons, it's really just what kind of fight we end up getting, what kind of effort goes into it, what kind of game yeah. plan, and how well it was executed. So to me, I'd favor Moreno, but Kaikara France is as live a dog in that fight as they come. Love, I mean, love, love that the, contest. The best way to put the exclamation point on the point you just made is that everyone right now within the top five of Flyway, without me even looking at it, I can tell you that, they could end up being champion within the next 18 months. I mean, and, yes. and when you have that, and when it's that close, buckle up. It's going to be a fun ride, you know? Now, if before we move on from UFC 266 and 267, I do see a note here from our producer that I would like to visit. I'm going to call a bit of an audible here if I may be because I think it's worth bringing up. I get a little bit tired of uh, Nate Diaz complaining on Twitter about not getting fights, but the reality is he actually has a pretty reasonable complaint. He is looking to fight at, at whatever card he can, but he is somewhat, actually not somewhat, he is heavily at the mercy of what fights he is offered. For folks who don't understand how this works, yes, the management team and the fighter can consult with the UFC about what kind of fights they want, but it typically does not go that way. The way it typically goes is that they offer you who they want you to fight, and you do not have to take it. You can say no, but there could be problems with saying no. A, it could make your relationship with the matchmakers poor, and certain clauses could be triggered to extend the contract time by virtue of doing that. There's a lot of ways in which they don't want that to happen. And so, BC, I got to tell you, they're rolling out the July cards already. Now, we haven't seen the full card for 277, but, dude, Nate Diaz is not being shy about the fact that he is dying to compete. There is an endless list of guys who are wanting to fight him, who, by the way, are not scrubs or people who, the people that fans don't care about. Gilbert Burns, Dustin Poirier. They already even once tried to make the Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier fight. Dude, is it not really a, a bit of a weird sign, and frankly, it, it doesn't paint a great picture that you have seen in this case, that Nate Diaz is not on the 276 or 277 fight cards as we know it right now? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a monster disrespect, middle finger. Even if we don't know exactly what the real conversations are and how, you know, obviously we have to realize naturally it's going to be, it's hard to negotiate with the Diaz. I mean, we have to understand that in terms of the basics and foundation of the relationship between Dana and the Diaz brothers. But even with that, it's just, it's just a constant misuse of a potentially huge and great pay-per-view brand, you know, and I'm, yes, I'm looking back at when Nate sat out three full years after being in back-to-back record-breaking pay-per-views against McGregor, and yes, I'm talking about now when it makes such little sense, that's why I can come on this microphone and be like, is this Jake Paul related? They don't want him to be a free agent, so they're kind of going to cash him out against Hamza. I mean, Dana gave interviews again this week, I don't know if you saw him, Luke, where he's like, yeah, I, I, I really want the Hamza-Nate fight, I really like that. So, 
you know, it, it seems to be they're just finding they're just trying to find the right landing for that so they can say goodbye to Nate and have him look, you know, as as bad as possible on the way out while giving the shine to the guy that they're really focused on. And that makes a lot of sense. You understand that. But it's not fair because Nate just lost another prime, you know, full year of his outside the octagon uh, potential there. And, um, you know, when you don't have the kind of leverage that, that we're saying the fighters should and, and should be fighting for, but most of them aren't. Again, what else can you say, though, Luke? I just want to point out one thing. Like, this is why fighters deserve to have more control over their career. Yeah. It should be a more collaborative process. The idea that the promoter can be single-handedly the person, or I should say the entity, where they get to decide what fights happen and all you get is a yes or no vote. You don't get a vote to even frame some of the decision-making around how these fights are offered to begin with is madness, right? These, it's their brain cells. It's their life. It's their career. It's only their win or it's only their loss. They should have much more say in this process. And the fact that Nate Diaz is at the mercy of essentially what could be a spiteful promoter trying to minimize his value to potential suitors after his career has completed with them, or his contract, rather, is completed with them, is insane to me. And we take it as normal. We take it as like, this is just how things are in the fight game. Yeah, this is how things are in the fight game, because the fight game is fucked. It should not be this way. This is really a terrible way for business to be done. And the people who suffer the most, to somewhat, you could say, the, the consumer world, that's not really true. It's the fighter themselves, the people sacrificing the most to get to try and get something. I find this totally uh, a, a real symptom of how uneven this industry is. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm just desensitized now. You know, like growing up we all watching are. We all are, man. war we all movies are. too early in my lifetime. and But... I mean, dude, this is the same sport where GSP has fought once in the last nine years and has been, like, actively retired for, for a long stretch. Can't take a boxing match of his choice to make some spare money on the side. You know, he's got to wait out some, you know, like, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, I, you know, who am I, Luke? I wear, you know, I got a, I got myself on my own T-shirt right here with a, and, you know, my, you know, my wife saw me wore this and she's like, you know, it's cool and all, but. You keep you guys keep producing shirts like that. I, I'm not gonna not believe that you and Luke aren't romantically involved. You know what I mean, Luke? She said it. Are we? I mean, we are involved, just not romantically. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how. You know, I don't know what she. What you know? What what are people thinking right here? Um, you know, this is a. We have all the romance of an arranged marriage. That's really what we have. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Topic number three, BC. I mean, this was I think first reported by uh, ESPN Deportes. Brian Ortega taking on Yair. This is the hardest word for me to say in Spanish, dude. Rodriguez, the way they say it. Rodriguez is how we would say it. Uh, expected to be the main event for the July 16th card. And, of course, this will be a year's second fight since 2019. The last one being on the, what, it was November of 2021 against Max Holloway. BC, size this up for me. Your level of excitement for Ortega versus Yair and... How important is this fight for either of them? Uh, Luke, I think it was the Kings of Leon who said it best when they said, hey, this sex is on fire. I mean, this is, good Lord, forget, you know, the the top, you know, five stakes in terms of potential title contention for either man. Dude, this is a circle, the, the calendar type of fight, in my opinion. Hell, hell yeah. And Luke, you know, given the... 
amount of times both, I mean, less so with Yair, but but really more with Ortega, has gotten to this high level and taken his big swing and come up empty. But, you know, you go, man, I respect the, the hustle or, or the chin or the toughness or the, you know, intention and all that. You know, how many more of these runs does he have? And I think even though Yair hasn't had as many get to the top moments where he struck out. Yeah, he lost to Max, but he fought his ass off, uh, you know, in something that only raised his stock. There's a lot at stake here in this fight. I mean, it, it, but, you know, I can separate that enough to just tell you, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, Hanover, Ohio, you know, can you see the hard on that I've got from here to you right now? You know what I mean, Luke? I mean, are you kidding me, bro? Dude, I mean, I, this, I, if you... If you can't like this fight, you should not be a fight fan. I mean, I just don't even know what else to say beyond this is. You're a I mean, communist. they say styles. You're, huh? you, you're a communist and you eat steak well done with ketchup if you don't like this fight. Luke. You pro- I mean, that's probably fair. Like, you probably think shoeys are, are cool and your name is not tied to Ivasa, who can get away with it. Uh, this is, I mean, they say styles make fights and sometimes they mean that as a warning. I mean that as a compliment. It would be impossible for this fight to not be good. Now, I don't know if it will be the very best version of itself that it could be, but the very worst version of what it could be is still going to be much higher than the average fight's uh, potential uh, uh, downside. And I don't even see one here. Brian Ortega takes advantage of guys just like Yair Rodriguez, yet conversely, Rodriguez is new found, I think, well-roundedness, composure when he needs it, but also creativity could be a massive problem, especially at distance and early in a fight or even late in a fight when Ortega takes a lot of damage, um, you know, which is still a consistent problem for him. For a guy who takes a lot of damage already to go up against a guy as creative and as rangy but as explosive but as you know, unique as Yair is a horrible matchup for him. These guys are terrible matchups for each other, which means this fight is going to be fucking bananas. <laughs> Whenever you have a fight, like I, I remember before the first Hendo Shogun and where they were in that fight, I remember I'm thinking to myself, I don't know exactly how this one's going to play out because Henderson's right hand is going to be a huge problem for Shogun, but Shogun's sort of overall Muay Thai brutality, if Henderson fades a little bit, is going to be a problem too. And the reality was you saw both of those things come to life. Hendo was dealing in the first three. Shogun dealt in the last two after having to make a comeback. I don't know which way this one's going to go, BC, but I've got Hendo Shogun one vibes all over this one. I love that. Wow. Incredible fight. That's a bold statement that you just laid out, but, uh, you know, it may end up being warranted. And, Luke, I've got, you know, I mean, I'm a big Brian Ortega fan. People know that about me, Luke, and I'm okay with that, okay? Because, you know, we, I think him and I... We we have you know different but similar levels of BDE going on, but the real analysis is this, Luke. Oh I yes, am a little you and nervous. Brian Ortega have yes, you and a very handsome athlete, a pro athlete. You <laughs> two are peers. It's the same funk, Luke. It smells the same. You can just tell. You know, you can look in a man's eyes. Here's the point, though. I'm nervous because when he gets to that highest level. He turns into blood and guts warrior. I mean, he turns into Rocky Balboa, Luke, and he takes on incredible damage and doesn't necessarily lean on the craft that's there, the same craft that, you know, made him look like a million dollars against uh, Korean Zombie when he came back after a two-year break. Um, Yair Rodriguez is too dangerous right now and too lo- dialed in. I mean, the, the, again, the performance against Max Holloway in defeat was was next level for him. You were like, oh, I didn't know he could... I didn't know he he looked at it that way. You know what I mean? I didn't know he was he was he had leveled up. He's there. He's ready. It could be a bad night at the office for Ortega if he's like, you know, if he gets lured back into another blood and guts thing, Luke. He's got to come here with a compl- uh, he's got to change his game. There's something has to change, Luke. 
Tell me I'm crazy. I don't think I you're crazy it. at all. And I think that Ortega's wrestling is going to be pretty key here because he should not, like, yes, if someone backs you up and throws something and overcommits, be a great time to, you know, get a guillotine clamp or find the back, of course. But I wouldn't wait around on Yaya Rodriguez if I was Ortega's team. This would not, you would want to be prepared for a scenario like that, certainly, but you would not want to be reliant upon him delivering those to you and then waiting on them. You're going to have to take that, that fight by the back of the, the scruff of the, the neck and, and make it yours. And then if those other situations reveal themselves, be ready for them. But to me, this is going to be a real test of Ortega's game planning and execution and everything else. And I think he's up to it. I thought he did it in the Korean zombie fight, although being in a different direction. But, you know, listen, you, you give Yair Rodriguez room to work and you are going to have a very bad day. Conversely, if Rodriguez is not minding his P's and Q's, Brian Ortega is going to snatch his throat with a quickness. I oh, that's, fucking that's legit. love this fight. Absolutely, but 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 for Ortega, I, I think it's head movement, Luke, because you know, yes, Alexander Volkanovsky is a whole different level wizard, and he's adding you know intention to his offensive aggression, and he's going after people. So you know, Volkanovsky is going to find that that strike zone against anyone, but. Ortega was just there to be hit routinely again and again and again. Look, I don't want or this to be Ortega's blind spot, similar to somebody like Gaethje with with you know jujitsu in in and the lack of game there, where the fight can just end like that. I mean, I think Ortega's too good for that. But there's something that's always been so loose about him. You know what I mean? Like that surfer the thing vibe. Is, the thing is, Ortega has such reactive jujitsu. I'll, I'll throw up a triangle once you take me down. I'll look for a guillotine only if you do a head outside double or single or something like that. And what I'm saying is those are all valuable traits. But, but the problem is he doesn't, to your point, he takes too much damage before that happens. Now, yeah. he's gotten a lot of wins after the fact. Like Again, I go back to it. Renato Moicano was fucking him up until he made a strategic error, and then Brian, and then, uh, Brian Ortega does what he does. I'm saying against Yair Rodriguez, you cannot do that. You cannot wait around for him to do something like that. So what I think is going to be not just what like individual skills he uses, the jab and whatnot. Dude, he's going to have to press Ortega backwards, and I, have to, I would have to imagine a wrestling-heavy component, or at least a wrestling-active you know, active component, is going to have to be a big part of that, finding his back, making him work from there as well. Because standing at range with that guy and waiting for him to deliver a mistake, it will happen, but you're going to eat a shitload of punishment along the way. Not not acceptable. I just think there's it's not just like a lust for action with Ortega. I just think there's something wiring-wise that's a little bit off. Because, you know, remember his rise? Even when he was getting win after win, there'd be fights that were really competitive or that he was down on, yet he'd sort of miraculously in the third round, you know, pull out a submission. And you're like, damn. There's part of him, Luke, that almost like feels subconsciously like he needs to go down on the scorecards before he can produce, you know, that huge burst. And even his losses tend to have these moments, even against Holloway, where he stood his ground on the feet and was landing bombs, where it's like, He's in love with that dramatic, you know, comeback, but you don't need to always take it there. You know what I mean? Like, if he brings in the offensive wrestling, as you're saying, this could be different. We'll see. I think that's right. The last thing I would say is if you look at the rankings, dude, I, I kind of like this fight for a lot of different reasons, but here's the top five, right? So you've got uh, Matt, you got uh, obviously uh, Volkanovsky's your champ, Max is number one. Then you got Ortega, two, Rodriguez, three, Cater, four, Chan Sung Jung, five. We talked about how they have to go to number five in the women's flyweight division to give Tyler Santos the shot because Shevchenko has just burned through everyone. Now, Max is ranked number one, but BC, between Volkanovski and Max, 
both of them have beaten Ortega. Max beat Rodriguez. Max beat Calvin Cater. And then Volkanovski destroyed Chan Sung Jung. Dude, they've burned through the top five already. Like, you're looking at a six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 uh, would have to be fresh challenges, but those guys have to beat somebody else up here. It's amazing what yeah. Max and, uh, and Alexander have done in that featherweight division. Quite but it could, be a, it could be an opportunistic time if you're somebody like Josh Emmett, who could be one really big win away from getting a title shot. True, very true. And he's got a big fight coming up against Calvin Cater to that point, so that could be kind of interesting. All right, topic number four. We move now to the weekend MMA storylines. There is a Bellator event on Friday and a UFC event on Saturday. BC, we'll start with the Bellator event, which will be Friday, live from London, England. Uh, MVP versus Storley. BC, here we go. We were thought we were going to get a bit of a different fight, but we, we there was a, a late change, and this is sort of what we ended up with, latest change. MVP taking on Logan Storley. BC, if there has been a consistent thread of criticism of MVP, it's that the critics say he's a can crusher. He hasn't fought enough tough guys. Now, I think that's somewhat overstated, but if you look at the, the, the history of his, his record, he does have a lot of wins over guys who were badly overmatched. Logan Storley, however, is not that guy. Fresh off the biggest win of his career in a five-round main event. We know about his wrestling pedigree. We saw about his game plan application in his last fight, plus his jab, plus his striking. Comes from a great team. BC, you can say whatever you want about MVP's record up to this point, but there's no denying this is far and away and Logan Storley is it as they come at 170 pounds. Yeah, this is a like sneaky, very good fight. Like this is, it, it's a consolation prize to MVP versus the current unbeaten champion Yaroslav Amasov, and it's not as good of a fight, but it's it's close in its own way. And obviously, you know what really helps uh, Storley's stock at the moment is not just you know putting away that really that hometown win he had where he just didn't look good and didn't look right. He put that away. And his last fight, you know, against Neiman Gracie, I mean, he was blood and guts at times. He he really showed us something. Uh, the fact, though, that we've already seen him against the current champion, Amasov, and, and, you know, they produced one of the best fights in Bellator history. It was, you know, it was tactical. There was there was drama. There was a lot of uh, back and forth. Um, it's a, like it's a slightly easier fight for MVP in some ways. Yet, Luke, at the same time, what was the big draw of seeing MVP finally fight Amasov was, you know, is he for real? And remember, we had this discussion with Big John and and Josh Thompson, and I think that's part of what made the little drama back and forth when when we were on the scene there in Bellator, and Josh Thompson was kind of, you know, throwing throwing right hands at us, Luke, and we were sparring a little bit verbally and sort of like, what what's this guy's energy right here? Was he thought we were, you know, just discounting MVP to altogether? No, MVP's spectacular and he's amazing, and he has gotten so much better. But until you actually see him go in there against somebody like Amasov, who we know could potentially take him down and just, you know, rinse and repeat and grind him for, for, for 25 straight minutes, until you see that against somebody at that level, you're not going to fully believe. There's always going to be that part of you that has doubts. So it's like the ultimate perfect timing. Yes, MVP took a little bit longer to get here in terms of matchmaking, but he's gotten better in such huge uh, increments, uh, particularly his last couple that damn you want to see if MVP is the real. But yet, luckily for us as a replacement, Storley's still good enough to to really push that potentially out of him. And Luke, the one thing you could say about Storley against Gracie is, I mean, his striking wasn't a 10 out of a 10. He's not a completely well-rounded fighter. He still needs to rely on his strengths in a lot of ways. But he seems intangible-wise to be like, 
legitimately battle-tested and ready to do whatever he has to do to, to win his chance at the title here against MVP. And knowing that now, knowing we've seen him go through hell a little bit, I, I, it only adds to how good this fight can be. Yeah, totally. I mean, listen, he fought Neiman Gracie outside of his comfort zone by virtue of the fact that he didn't want to mess with Neiman Gracie's ground game, which is, I think, criminally underrated, quite personally. I think Neiman Gracie's ground game is excellent. And so he was like, well, I guess I'm going to have to strike it out. And he did. And that's exactly what he did. But if you go back to the Yaroslav Amasov fight, if you guys have never seen Amasov versus Storley, it's maybe one of Bellator's best fights ever. It is a phenomenal contest. I mean, truly epic. Those two were wrestling. The, and and it, one of those wrestling contests where it was like back and forth and back and forth. I don't know how those guys weren't completely gassed. And Logan Storley only came up a little bit short. Dude, he gets to go back to that this time. Now, of course, he has to negotiate that distance. Obviously, that's treacherous. And some of this fight's going to have to be fought on the feet. Obviously, we all understand that. But like... Does Storley have to look away from the ground game? No, he has to go right to it. And this is yeah. where he does his best work. So if you're MVP, who, by the way, is entering this fight, like since, let's say since the pandemic, he's beaten Ross Houston, Derek Anderson, and then Douglas Lima via split decision. Now, the Lima win is his nicest one, but Lima is, I think, on a big skid in his career. There's a question about whether his prime is over. For, obviously, Logan Storley, since the pandemic, he has that razor-thin loss to Yaroslav Amosov. Then he beat Dante Shiro, and then to the point you raised, Neiman Gracie. And the Neiman Gracie one was a big five-round, real gut-check kind of moment, and he, and he answered the bell. Dude, you got to love this contest. If Logan Storley wins, you could not say that he wouldn't be deserving of the rematch against Amosov or however that Bellator is going to negotiate that with the war in Ukraine. And for Michael Page, dude, this would be... The Douglas Lima win is the biggest one on paper, but in terms of getting a guy who's ready to go at his best and has a particular skill set around that that fighter's weakness, the Storley win would, would by far be his best win on paper. And to have to have Lima and Storley as back to back potential wins, dude, that is that's a you, you couldn't hate on him anymore after that. You no, could say what you want about what happened before, but that's that's a very commendable. Uh, and we could give punch. the same you know criticism this way of of did it need an interim title here when we know Amosov's coming back that we gave the UFC. You can make that same case here. I think this is a situation where Bellator hasn't necessarily you know ever really abused that situation. It still keeps their London card very strong. Is it the same thing in the end? Yes, but I think what this will do with at least the good byproduct of it, as you mentioned before about silver linings, Luke, is it's going to make the fight against Amosov even bigger, whether it's MVP having just proven he can beat the same style or whether it's Storley and now we get this rematch for the title and we can talk again how great the first one was. But secondly, Luke, the best part about this substitution is it doesn't change at the core why this matchup is great, whether it's Amosov or Storley against MVP. What, you know, what each one does great is the kryptonite of the other, right? So that's uh, you love those type of contrasting fights. No doubt about it. Also on the card, BC, there's some other good ones here. Uh, Leota Machida's in your co-main event taking on uh, Fabian Edwards, sort of a decent middleweight contest. I, I would have to say I have my eyes a little bit more on Denise Kielholtz, who gave Juliana Velasquez I thought so, a fight. Some people thought Denise had won. It was certainly very close against Kana Watanabe at 125. Watanabe, of course, got smoked by the rejuvenated Liz Carmouche, if you want to put it that way. Fun little contest there, BC. Anything else that catches your eye on this card? I mean, this Paul Daly replacement 
you know, opponent is not the one we wanted necessarily. If this is the last time for Paul Daly, though, if that ends up being the case. I think that guy, uh, Wendell Giacomo, is a Pitbull Brothers guy, but I could be wrong about that. Oh, yeah, that. you know, he is. And that's, look, when, when they said Jose Augusto was a Pitbull Brothers guy, look what he did in that Rubble Johnson fight. He went the hell after it. So it's worth watching there whether this is the final fight for Paul Daly or not. Uh, Conor McGregor friend Charlie Ward on the on the undercard, Luke, teammate there of SBG. So, you know, will we get the Irishman there in London? I don't know. I don't know, Luke. I can't predict that. All right, let's move with that, if we can, to the UFC fight in our card. We have Bellator versus Rakic. That's your main event. Jan Blahovic is back, taking on Alexander Rakic. BC, I've not looked at the betting odds for this. I'm going to imagine that Rakic is a slight favorite as you swap out earpieces. I have no idea if you can even hear a word I'm saying. Luke, Um, I didn't swap out earpieces. I grabbed a drink, all right? Oh, did you? Oh, all right. Well, I was looking at the corner of my eye. Uh, obviously, as we know, Blahovic came off the best win of his career, or maybe one of the more high-profile wins, beating uh, beating Israel Adesanya, but then lost BC to Glover Teixeira in his last fight, and it was pretty one-sided for the most part, too. That's not quite true, but not a great performance from Blahovic. Here he is taking on Alexander Rakic, BC. Rakic enters this contest on a two-fight win streak. He did lose to Vulcan Uzdemir, but then beat Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos, although in somewhat lackluster fights. Yes. What is your anticipation for this one? Uh, it's twofold. Basically touched on kind of what you said, and this fact is like, look, that's the worst performance of elite Jan Blahovic's career. And, and let's not forget that it wasn't that long ago, which is what made Jan's story so great that we didn't think of him as elite, that he was kind of a journeyman, a tough out, but a journeyman in some degree. Well, he turned that around, had the late career resurgence, but then straight up is like, I've never felt that way before in the cage. So let's give credit to Glover Teixeira. He took care of business. But you do agree with that sort of self-complaint. It didn't look like the best Jan Blahovic. Something went wrong. Something got miswired. Whatever it was, worst night of, you know, of his life, he's got a great opportunity to come back and prove that was nothing, and he still got it. And then suddenly, you know, he could be in line. This could be a number one contender fight for him in that regard. I mean, it probably is for both guys. But boy, does Rakic have an opportunity to put away whatever remaining criticism we have. And I think you nailed it. Not always exciting when he builds a lead and is sort of content to a certain degree unless you're rushing him and making him fight. Uh, he's got a chance here, Luke. I mean, you could not be a bigger name than the former champion right here in the, in, the, in the guy's first fight after losing the title to come out and try to get a finish and try to show people that, no, I am in that same ca- category as Prohatska and Ankalaev and these, these hammers that are coming on right now. But, Luke, you got to love... Either of these fighters, you know, hopes and chances of getting a title shot with a win here. This is big stakes, and obviously, it could be big action. Could be. Yeah, if Blahovich is... could bring that out of him. Blahovich has sort of proven that he was not merely championship material, but could hold it for a little while. Like he proved that for a short time, anyway, he could be the best in that weight class, and potentially he could get back there again. We'll have to see. But certainly, that that like that run he had. If you look at it prior to losing to Glover, I mean, listen to this. Just incredible. He went from the Tiago Santos loss, which was back in 2019. Then he beats Luke Rockhold, Jacare, Corey Anderson, Dominic Reyes, and then Izzy. All back to back to back Damn. to back to back. Damn. I mean, that's an incredible run he went on. Then Glover took it from him. That's so a you're whole act- career. Are- Luke, that's an yeah. entire career in like two years, right? Yeah. And like the win like think about that win streak from Luke Rockhold to Izzy. Because the win streak before that was Devin Clark, Jared Kennanier, Jimmy Manawa, Nikita Krilov. Like, a good win streak, but not nearly as good as beating Luke Rockhold, Jacare, Corey, Dominic, and then Izzy. Completely, completely different. So, 
you're really seeing how much he had leveled up, and that was after a loss, so he could come back here. But certainly I'm just sort of pointing out that run showed for a little while that he was maybe the best 205er. Rakic hasn't gotten to that yet. So you beat someone like Blahovic, and again, it wouldn't prove that either, but it puts you in a space to then contend for a title, puts you in a space to be like, well, should it be Rakic? Should it be Ankalaev? Who's going to get next in this weight class? Um, after Obviously after Glover and Yuri. Uh, have a fight at UFC 275. Really, really, really important. So not merely about Rakic getting to a spot where he could contend for a title, but if you look at his win streaks or his wins, they're very good, BC. But if he can't, if he loses to Uzdemir and then loses to Blahovich, it would kind of tell you he can challenge the outside of the top five, but not the top three. It would kind of say that's where he's yeah. leveled out at. This would be getting past that part too. This is like is what I would say. a first day at new school for him, Luke, if his family just moved. He's got an opportunity in this fight to kind of define what we think of him moving forward and what his reputation's going to be, you know, splashing the pool or or quietly dipping his toe in in terms of title contention. I mean, he can win this fight and not look great, Luke, and, we, and there won't be the same buzz, and he may not get the automatic title shot. So he's got an opportunity, but I think, uh, you know, if we, if we look at the realities of what we know, Jan Blahovich is not necessarily someone who's going to come full volume to try to lure you into a brawl, but he eventually tends to settle in one in the end. So this could be a very physical fight in which uh, the chin, the chins of both Luke are going to need to be there. So it's going to be fun. Uh, also on this card, BC, I'd love to get your thoughts. I guess they resigned Caitlin Chukagian and then she takes on Amanda Hebos at 125. It's a big fight, Luke. This is a big title contending fight. There's no question about that. Chukagian got the new deal, so shout out to her, Luke, whether we think she's ever been exciting or not, right? Or whether we think she has a good nickname. She doesn't. But that's okay, Luke. She's She wins. She's a you know consistent fighter. But this is, you know, number, uh, where are we? What, what division is this? One, 125, 125, Luke. Mm-hmm. I thought they were... Uh, Where's he boss ranked in here? Is she unranked in this division, Luke? No, she's at 115. What the hell are we doing here, Luke? Damn. Do you like the fight or not, BC? Is she so she's moving up in weight, he boss for this? I guess so, yeah. I like the fight. I like the fight and its potential, I wanted to say for for he boss's title contention at 115 this is not at 115 but it is at a big name but to be honest uh the the matchmaking here is a little bit puzzling Luke can you can you try to make sense of it I'm not entirely certain either especially if it's at 125 if she was trying to make 115 like as in because 125 was never going to go her way as long as Shevchenko's the champ that would make more sense but I guess Amanda Hebos doesn't want to cut the weight anymore and wants to move up to a division where she could dude like think about it if they go into number five in the rankings to give a title shot, like like literally, all you have to do is hover around that, and you'll you'll get one. You know what I mean? So like, why not try? Why not try to go to one twenty five? I'm not saying it's an easy thing to walk in the park, but you I don't mean, have to climb BBC, nearly man. as high. Yeah, she fought, she fought Van Zant there in that one off, but I thought again it was a one off. Even though she had that loss, uh, Hebas two fights ago, she bounced back against John Jarova, Luke, and um, it's interesting. We'll see. We'll see what what, what the narrative is. I, I haven't followed it close enough, apparently. But I don't think she's making a full time move. Maybe this was just the best fight she, you know, an opportunity she got. But uh, I don't know. I don't know, Luke. It's not. It's just puzzling. It's a bit puzzling. Uh, Nick Maximov, who are, who is uh, the Nate Diaz crew guy, uh, who relies on wrestling, is uh, opens that card at one eighty five. Also, BC Michael Johnson, who is nearly a 500 fighter, 19 and 17 against Alan Patrick on the prelims, 
also an interesting. Frank Camacho is back on the card. Louis Smolka taking on Davey Grant. There's a bunch of like little fun fights on the card all the way through. Yeah, imagine if I told you without you setting that up that there's a fighter in the UFC who's 19 and 17 yet has wins <laughs> over Edson Barbosa, Tony Ferguson, and Dustin Poirier. Like, are you kidding me? I know. Stoppage wins uh, in a couple of those cases, I believe. So, yeah. incredible. Uh, all right, BC. Uh, last but not least for our topics, topic number five, Jermel Charlo versus Brian Castaño, too. Now, we are not fools about our audience. We know that they're mostly boxing fans. But, BC, we try to get people, whether it's Showtime or DAZN or anybody else, to watch the boxing fights that really matter. This one matters, and it matters yeah. for a couple of reasons. One, it's a title unification. Two, an important rematch. But three, BC, there must be something that I don't know about this fight or I can't appreciate that you can. Why is this an important fight in combat sports to pay attention to in boxing in particular? Uh, The stakes are high, which is a monster part. You said unification. It's an undisputed championship. First time to, to crown one at 154, you know, in this modern era. But, you know, you add in the drama. They already fought last year, and it was a fight-of-the-year contender type. It was fun. Castaño pushed an incredible pace, only you had a little bit of controversy there. It ends up being a draw. Most observers thought Castaño had done enough. I agree with that. It was sort of this ho-hum, like, womp, womp. You know, is this, you know, what the, the B-side never gets, a, you know, ahead. Well, he got the immediate rematch here, and I think we all tend to believe Jermel Charlo has another gear and maybe the highest potential gear of the two here, but yet Castaño fights in that style that is just, I mean, he's coming on. He's a, he's a brawler per se, but he's a skilled brawler. He's a, you know, he's a, a, a functional brawler. There's game planning there. And look, he got inside consistently on Charlo with ease. I mean, he was not made to pay in the way that you would expect because he's not just there to be hit, even though he's cutting inside on you and pushing the pace. So this is a puzzle for Jamel Charlo to figure out. And, you know, the thing for Charlo here is a loss here packaged with that draw that a lot of people thought was probably a loss. You know, that's a damage, that's a damaging couple fight stress for a guy who really looked after knocking out Jason Rosario, unifying the belts in that pay-per-view that the Charlos headlined, that he was coming on to be a pound-for-pound guy, that he was, you know, going to step into stardom and chase Triple G like everybody else, like his brothers, you know, and, and, and try to keep moving up. This turned out to be a hiccup for him, Luke, but he's got to come back and handle his business. We know how deep this division is. Tim Zhu's coming on. There's plenty of former champions. Jared Hurd, you know, on and on. Julian Williams still around. Uh, but these are the two best, and um, it, it's it's weird. It's like I feel like Charlo can, can right the wrong here, so to speak, and fix what he didn't do the first time. But I didn't know Castaño had that effort in him the first time, Luke, and he raised his game. So, dude, you're telling me that we got this fight, it's not a pay-per-view, and they're putting it in the in the damn war grounds there in Carson, California, that tennis stadium which produces one all-time great thriller after another. Yeah, dude, get get pretty fired up for Saturday night. This is going to be great. All right, so who has more to adjust from the first fight? I'm going to argue Jermel Charlo because I thought Jermel, of the two, would you agree that Jermel is better than Jermel, relatively speaking, pound for pound? Slightly, yes. If you had to compare apple to apple and try to say which ones, yeah, I'd say Jermel slightly in my opinion. Yeah, I would say Jermel, I mean, yes, he's in the bigger weight class, but I would say he's also like pound for pound, I think a slightly heavier puncher, a little bit more physical, whereas I think Jermel has a little bit more speed, timing, razzle-dazzle. Again, these are these are fairly 
fairly similar. I mean, very similar fighters, but you know, I would spotlight some of those differences. But to me, Jermel had, I think, was a little bit surprised, BC, by the gusto, frankly, of Castaño. Castaño, in one round, if Charlo was told, go win this round no matter what you have to do, I think he could do it. But I I think he has trouble applying that against Castaño's pressure round over round over round over round. Like, show me that again, show me that again, show me that again. That part he had trouble with. And so you would imagine he would have more to adjust around to fix that. I don't think it's a talent issue, but I do think it might be a somewhat of a conditioning issue, believe it or not. Not saying the Charlos have bad conditioning. That's not what I'm saying, but you might need a very special one for this particular kind of fighter. And I think that there are some tactical adjustments he can make to preserve himself over the course of this fight that maybe he didn't do. I think he invited a little bit more brawling, especially middle late in this fight, than perhaps he wanted to. What do you make of that analysis? Yeah, I think you're dead on. I think the the main thing about this, why I still can confidently say, despite having just seen Charlo lose to Castaño the first time, although I know it was it was a draw, is that if anyone can improve on it higher, it's Charlo. Castaño, you know, ex- over-exceeded my expectations and fought brilliantly. But if there's a fatal flaw in, in Jermel Charlo, it's weird. My fatal flaw on him is a little different, yet it connects with the one you said potentially about does he have the gas tank to carry out the type of 12-round high volume but also high craft that you would expect against Castaño. Uh, he's a little bit too in love with his own artistry. And I think that's what fuels the low output. And when it works, when he knocks out Jason Rosario brilliantly late in that fight with the perfect shot, it's it's wonderful. But when the other guy doesn't go down like the first Tony Harrison fight, or even, to be fair, most of the second Tony Harrison fight that I thought Jermel Charlo was down on the cards but then pulled out the knockout, when he doesn't pull out the knockout, you suddenly go, man, you're a little bit too good to, to be doing that Canelo thing and not, you know, leaving no doubt. If he can do that, which would mean a consistent jab against Castaño, right? Making him pay a toll for getting inside. If he's willing to dig in and try to time those uppercuts and make it a consistent threat to basically tell Castaño it's not going to be easy this time. Uh, yeah, he could be, this could be a coming out party for how great Jermel is. Jermel could also potentially win this, Luke, if it's a more boxing-oriented one with footwork and jab and trying to cut out. I mean, there's, there's, that's why you have to still love and believe in Jermel because if anybody has more ways to win compared to Castaño, it's him, but he's got to execute it in the face of a guy who just refuses to take a backward step, yet again, isn't there to be hit. You know, most brawlers, okay, they can put it on you, but you can crack the code and get him out of there. Castaño disguises himself well. He goes to the body. He's rugged. He leans on you. This is like the perfect kryptonite for Charlo, which is why this matchup is so good. Because, Luke, for him to silence Castaño, he's going to have to come out of his shell and do things that we've seen in, in splashes, like those knockouts, the one against Hatley, the one against Lubin, right? They just coiled snake, just delivering. But the delivery system to set those up on this level... It's got to be more offensively, uh, you know, going forward. And if he does, Luke, if he can figure out that balance, yes, you're talking potentially about one of the 10 best fighters in this whole game. BC, who is the crowd going to favor here? First time they fought in San Antonio, which was neutral in the sense that neither is from there, but Charlos are from uh, Texas, obviously. But Castaño is from Argentina. How much, A, are the Argentine fans going to travel for him, or B, do the other like who is his fan base there in California? Is this a neutral side? How do you view putting the fight, the rematch in basically uh, California versus Texas the first time? Well, you're putting it 
like Texas, you know, you're aiming at the Mexican-American fan base without question, but you're making it a home game for that Mexican-American fan base here in greater L.A. And and I think, look, you know, Castaño's Argentinian, he's not Mexican, but he fights a Mexican style for sure. So you get the the optics there of why Castaño could very much end up being um, a crowd favorite here. But yet at the same time, you know, the Charlos... They've extended their footprint, maybe not a, a, on a Gervonta Davis level where that level of celebrity is there in the front row consistently. But, you know, the Charlos pack a punch and people do end up caring about him. But, yeah, Luke, it's it's no secret here of, of Castaño's style, Mexican-American market. He's our Argentinian brother for this day. Um, Argentines do travel for, like, Maidana Floyd, but I haven't seen it as consistent uh they're going to be there, no question. I mean, Matisse had a good, good fo- traveling group, but mm. you know, not on comparison to the UK, or, you know, or other other ethnic backgrounds. Sergio Martinez, did the Argentines travel for him? A little, but not in overwhelming numbers. No, not a not a lot. Okay, yeah. But it and also, look, our, you know, Martinez kind of became a boxer in in Spain. So even though he grew up in Argentina, right. he didn't start boxing until nineteen. So you know, it's a it's a little different. I get it. I get it. And there's a weird connection between Argentina and Spain. Uh, okay. So there you have it. Those are our top five topics. But BC, I want you to know when I think about you know Charlo Castaño too, I'm thinking about defense. But when I think about defense, it's the worst segue ever. I think about great VPNs. Do you like VPNs, BC? Of course I do, Luke. Why wouldn't I? NordVPN, for example, offers this uh, brand new feature to the desktop apps, providing threat protection and taking your digital security to the next level. And uh, Luke, that's important. Listen, if you're as into pornography as Brian Campbell, you need to protect yourself from malicious websites, malware trackers, and intrusive ads, even if you're not connected to a VPN server, BC. And Luke, just to make sure that you have the most up-to-date version of the app on your device, go to the Shield icon and switch on the threat protection button. You're going to love what it does to you. All right, grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash combat. That's combat with a K. Or use the code COMBAT, with a K, to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus free threat protection, plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's worth it, believe me. Along with the amazing cybersecurity benefits and getting the ability to access streaming services in other countries with no extra cost, NordVPN now comes with a free anti-malware feature which protects your devices from malicious ads, phishing sites, maybe even some of that malware, Luke. That old malware. Uh, Luke, how could you, and by the way, thank you, NordVPN. We're, we're proud to partner with you on this MK journey. Luke, how could you go weekend storylines and not talk about that, you know, viral boxing match on a helipad in Dubai, you know? Oh, I just don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, I, I didn't say this, and I, I do care a little bit. I will watch the main event of the weekend, uh, but Invicta is also tonight and it's Ducati versus Zapatella for your Adam, no, excuse me, strawweight title fight. Um, and by the way, Emily Ducati, her record's 10 and 6. That doesn't scream out at you like, oh, this is amazing. But um, she's actually quite good and has massively improved since her time in Bellator. That's actually a really fun fight. I think that's going to be on MMA Junkie. You, uh, Invicta 47 FC Ducati versus Zapatella. Is that a uh, John Morgan and CM Punk production, Luke? I think they do CFFC, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I'm not sure. 
Um, um, okay, they, according to our t- our our team, they do C F F C, and I got that wrong. But they're actually pretty good together. I give them I give them some credit there. Yeah, they are good together. This is actually, it's not a bad role for CM Punk. I think he he, he clearly likes MMA. Like he clearly like yeah. le- has a legitimate love for it. But like me, is just not very good at it. So um, well on that uh, on that helipad atop the world's largest building, Luke, we will get Floyd Mayweather against some guy named Don Moore. And Anderson Silva's back in the co-main against some guy I never heard of. So we'll, you know, if you care about that, Luke. Yeah, great. <laughs> great. All right. Uh, Luke, every uh, Wednesday in these parts, uh, we uh, we have the fans send in their shit to us. Uh, you know, they can make memes. They can make memories. The the, the email address that we believe, that's all, is uh, morningcombat at gmail.com. It's Wednesday. It's time for fan submission. We've got mail, Luke, viewers, but except this one's female. This is from Haley. She says, hey, fellas, my husband Joe is one of your biggest fans. I bought him and our son matching St. Paddy's Day shirts, and he has been been embarrassed to send the pictures into you guys. He absolutely loves you and watches the show with our little guy every day. How this makes it on the show so you can see your guys truly love your fans. I don't Dude, know if that was English, but I support Haley just the same. I know it would make this you say. Gordito. Look at him. Oh, wow. Look at this. That you know, little baby. I, maybe I was talking about the dad. Of, I meant the baby. Two generations of donk here, Luke. This is wholesome shit. I like this a lot. I love it. That baby's got the fattest cheeks, fattest arms. Enjoy that time because they're not that way for very long. Um, it goes quickly, but that's a, a beautiful picture, my friend. And any other advice about large amounts of drugs in order to sleep, Luke? Uh, I do that. I do that. I take a ton of drugs to sleep. All right. He's at, yeah, he is. Uh, let's go to, this is from at Eric Got Me My House. He's got two photos. Dear Wash Donks. I DM these pictures to BC two months ago, but he ignored me. Silly me, assuming he would pay attention to guys in his DMs. This is me in Vegas at UFC 272 in March. While walking around, I had one other donk approach me about the greatness of MK. Keep up the great work. Day one promotional malpractice days here. Luke, try to pick apart my tattoos. I double donk dare you. Much love. I can't really, I can't really see them. I mean, I'm not a big fan of, and I realize that this is a hot take. I personally, I don't think green looks good in tattoos, especially like emerald green. I think it looks really bad. Tell that to Michael Chiesa, Luke. He has great green tattoos. I know. I know. People love it. I I am outvoted on this one, but for me personally, I just think green looks terrible. Do you think that's the donk that he ran into that knew about MK and they took a pick, Luke, or do you think that's his significant other? Um, That's a great question. I'm going to say significant other. All right. Well, much love to Eric and his and his family. Thank you very much. Uh, this is RJ. He says, what's up, donks? RJ here, but not RJ Dinklefucker. <laughs> here showing off the father-son trip. My pops and I busted to Arizona to catch last weekend's UFC card. I had to bust out the MK hat. Of course, I was the only one wearing MK gear because I'm a degenerate that loves four locos in my late 20s. Fun fact, episode one of MK was a recap of the very first live UFC event I ever went. That was UFC 239. Love the show, fellas. We're taking over. Do they give beers the size of Dodge Neons at these sporting games. It's unbelievable. Yes. Yes. What the was size UFC of these 239? Beers? I'm looking that up, Luke, because I remember that was our first episode. Today's episode 300. Our first episode was like right after July 4th of 2019. Yes, Luke, that was the John Jones fight. 
the Jones Santos uh, Nunes home fight where I attempted the the Albuquerque parlay, but it didn't come through. Luke Holly could not get the job done. Luke, she okay? could not. It did not. All right. Uh, much love there to RJ and his dad, Luke, who looked a little jacked, right? Those guys. Yeah, dad's in good is? shape drinking that beer. Thank you. All right. This is from Mr. Savage. He says, "Loves." I love the show. Okay. Thanks. What does he? What did he send? Um, Luke, is this a meme of the parents fighting and the MK fans yes. can't take it? When we're, when we're arguing about our stupid arguments, the MK fans, look at them, they just don't like it. Yeah, well, <laughs> this is this is raw. This is real, okay? This is a true story. Uh, Luke, this one's from at King Dazer, D-A-S-E-R. Sorry, BC, but this one's for Luke. I've been a fan since your promotional malpractice in MMA beat oh, days. Oh, shit. And became an even bigger fan when I learned how awesome your taste in hip-hop is. Anyone who lists Sean Price as one of their favorite rappers gets infinite, infinite cool points in my book. I'm an artist from NYC, and I thought Luke would appreciate this Luke T rendition of Sean Price's Dude, Mike Tyson that album. Is fucking incredible. So this is a play off of the album Mike Tyson, spelled M-I-C, where um, Sean Price had consistent use of like rugby shirts and gorilla imagery, but he added my face to this, obviously, and then the dumbbell he added as well. But the bigger part is not just that it's a riff on the Mike Tyson cover, Sean P. used to have that letter P in his name uh, in that same uh, font and size where you see the T here. He just switched it over from a P to a T. That is super fucking cool. Super cool. Yeah. That that yellow T is the only high T in that entire picture, but I like it. Just the same, Luke. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Uh, this next one's from Matt. Hey, Donks, here's a meme for that ass. And PSBC, Toad is playing a show at the Mohegan on July 9th. Will the Viceroy be there? God bless, boys. It's Matt. Uh, no, I will not go to Toad the Wet Sprocket at Mohegan, but thank you for the uh, yes. I've tried I mean, to get BC to listen to Cannabis. <clears throat> cannabis Corpse is like Cannibal Corpse, except all the songs are weed-themed. It's a real band. It's a real thing. Um, it's, it's metal. It's a, it's like shouting metal. It's like Yeah, angry. it's like shouting metal. It's just instead of being about like engorged you know, gut entrails or whatever. Uh, it's about like bongs or something, but it's real. You can look it up. They have albums and stuff. It's a real band. All right. Uh, thank you, Matt, for that meme. Just the same. Here's Kevin. He says last week, Luke was not having any of BC shit about the Adesanya pronunciation. Can you blow it up? Adesanya now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, that does sum it up, Luke. That's well done there from Kevin. Thank you. Uh, let's go over to Wes. He says, good morning, you on-screen vaping gas station roller eating cretins. Just a little meme I threw together after watching you guys fake civility while not on your own show. Congratulations <laughs> on all your success. Keep yeah. up your disgusting behavior. Yes. I would like to tell you that this meme over is overstated and wrong, but if anything, it's understated. Yeah, I think I, I think it's dead right, and I and I and I give this guy a lot of credit. Thank you, Wes. That's hilarious. Very they, true. Very true. Put that true. out on the uh, on the Twitter today on Morning Combat, and I I had a hearty laugh. Uh, hey, Todd says, hey guys, uh, I stumbled across this selfie that BC posted, and boy, is he staying true to the to his intro to the show when he says, "This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show." <laughs> What does now, that hold say, on. Luke? What, we, your... I, I can't quite read the initials. Is it OMK? Oh, What's it underneath my beard? 2021? 
Yeah, for life. It's oh, for life. Oh, okay. Yes. I think well, it's a play in on, good shape. I think it's a play on that naval anyway, tattoo, Luke, that you're avoiding. That naval tattoo you own? Yeah, it's not an. I don't know why you keep calling. It's not a naval tattoo. Like I don't know why you keep. It circles it around your navel, correct? It doesn't though. Like that's the thing. Like that's the funny part about it. it actually, doesn't. Luke picks or you, or it doesn't count. Yeah, yeah it doesn't count. Like you, anything you say, literally doesn't count. <laughs> All right. Finally, Luke Danger Mouse slides in. He's got three photos. He says, "Hi, BC. It's your old pal here with a few classic meme templates that have been given the MK treatment." Oh, and stop hating on my shirt, BC. That's my goddamn art you're dissing. So it took this long to get his order filled? I didn't know that. Can we zoom in on these from Danger Mouse, please? These are the Pablo Escobar memes from um, the, uh, what is it called? Narcos, the show. Yes, yes. I don't know that production staff member's name, and at this point, I'm too afraid <laughs> That would be right, Luke. That would be dead, dead right. Yep. Like, again, I wish I could say that wasn't right. Here you go, BC. Morning Combat fan being roasted by Luke for making a terrible joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I've been there, Luke, okay? I've been there, all right? It's what I do, bro. I don't let you get any free ones out here. Uh, if you want to be part of this great thing we do every Wednesday, morningcombat at gmail.com. Same thing for Fridays, dead wrong. And, of course, every Sunday evening, if you want to enter... In the sweepstakes called DMs from Donks, visit at Morning Combat on Instagram. Reply to the thread. That's all you have to do. Luke, it's time, I guess, because today is our 300th episode of, of regular Morning Combat. We're going to play the Newlywed game with Mikey Mormile. Is this really? Yeah, this is, is going to be stupid. All right. All right. Can we bring him in? I don't think he's ever been on camera before. Hi, Mikey. How we doing, guys? You guys ready? We're Mikey, ready. I, now, now, to, to, now, Mikey, to the best of your ability, which, you know, we'll grade you on a curve here, but to the best of your ability, can you explain to the fans how this is going to work? All right, so we have 13 questions, and each question you guys each get a chance to get one point. I'll tally up the points at the end, and one of you guys will know the other one better. All right, so you're going to ask us questions like, you know, uh, what's so-and-so's favorite food or something like that, and then I have to guess his, and he has to get mine, and whoever guesses the most right through these 13 questions, they win. Is that the idea? Correct, and I have the answers that you guys submitted to me, so... Okay, we're trying to prove which spouse is the most attentive here. Now, how's this going to go? Are you going to ask the question to BC first, then me, then me, then BC? How's this going to go? Yeah, I will, uh, I'll direct a question at you. If you want to get started with one, we can, we can go. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, BC. What did your significant other wear on the ep on episode one of Morning Combat? Oh, oh, okay. Um, to my best of my recollection, and I didn't look it up, Luke had a black suit coat, a blue dress shirt underneath, and a pair of jeans on episode one of MK. I did not check his pants, but correct on that. Luke, what right, did BC wear? Okay, the answer is definitely something stupid. But specifically, <laughs> specifically, I don't remember much other than I thought his jacket was like a gray jacket. Is that true? No, it is blue. So one point for BC, zero for Luke. Question Fuck number BC, he don't know shit. Question number two. Luke, Wait, hold on, I did. Mikey, you had asked me to guess what I thought Luke would say. I don't get a point for that. 
No, you you got the point for getting it right. Blue suit, blue suit, blue suit, blue shirt. BC has asked the directions of this game, and I'm not joking, no less than 39 million times. Okay, but you asked me to predict Luke's guess, and my guess was BC wore his stupid face. So, I, you know, Luke said it, this is definitely something stupid, so that should give me another point, all right? That's all I'm talking about. I, I think it gets you honorable mention. Can we move this along, please? <laughs> all right, Luke, what was BC's first job? So I believe that his first job was working in the mailroom in a factory. I believe. I'm not sure about it, but I believe. Uh, that is <laughs> wrong. Unfortunately, Luke, I was uh, tw- 26 when I was working in the uh, shipping and receiving department of the factory. Unfortunately, Luke. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you are a fucking loser. Okay, well, I got that wrong. Uh, all right, BC, what was Luke's first job? Uh, the only job he's been fired from, Chick-fil-A, was Luke's first job in uh, Northern Virginia. Well, he got, you got Chick-fil-A right, but you're, it's not Northern Virginia. Oh, that, no, was it was, Ken, that was Kennesaw, Georgia. That's right. That's all. Yeah, that's right. So I still get the point here. He still gets the point, right? Now, the answer was my first job where I ever showed up and like did labor and got paid, even though it was child labor and probably tobacco. But if we're talking about oh, like, if we're talking, but I also wrote in my answer, in fairness to you, you still get it right, BC, which was if we're talking like brick and mortar place, like a real place, it was Chick-fil-A. And I did get fired from Chick-fil-A. Uh, Luke, my that, that's that's a great story. I get the point for sure. I love though the curveballs in your bio, like you know, lived in Doha at age three, uh, picked cotton as a as Tobacco. a like nine Tobacco. year old, like like Tobacco. Luke, like this yeah. is random. Uh, no, not a nine year old, but more, but like what, what what grade was that? That was uh, twelve and thirteen. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, my first day I ever worked a job at was at McDonald's. It was the Ooh. day I got my driver's license. It was February twenty second, nineteen ninety five, and uh, I was making four dollars and twenty six cents an hour. Um, I was the fry guy, Luke, on those first few shifts until I realized how much you can burn and scar your arms for life with those with the the temperature of that oil and grease that they put the fries in, Luke. It's I got to say, though, when they get those fries fresh out of the grease, then they douse them in like 15 pounds of salt. Yes. And then they serve it to you. They are tasty. They are. Tasty. Uh, I was Bry Guy the Fry Guy. It was lame, Luke. It was really lame. <laughs> God, they call you Bry Guy the Fry Guy in soup. You have the worst nicknames yeah. and the worst life. Well, ever. that's what my—that's actually what my name tag said, Bry Guy the Fry Guy. And um, eventually, I started changing it and just putting like, ri- like ridiculously, like, um, like uh, Hispanic names that could never possibly be mine, Luke. Like you know, like, like uh, Guillermo stuff like that. You know, and then I would hope that people would like look at the name tag and then try to—they'd be like, Jorge, is that you? And I'd be like, Yeah, yeah, actually, it is. You know, like. Yeah. Esteban, right. yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Showed up. I'm ready. Okay. All right. Next. All right. Question three. BC. Who is the better driver? I would say because Luke lives in in one of the country's biggest metros, that he's even though I'm a, a an incredible driver in every capacity, bad weather, long distance, whatever you need. It's one of the few man skills that I dominate. But driving, is, lives, driving is not a man skill. But Luke has lived in the city for 20 years, which is a – I could I could be off here. Like, it's either that he's a great driver, and anyone that grew up, like, in the suburbs of a major city is typically a great driver because they're used to navigating the bullshit. But Luke may also be a public transportation head, so he might actually be a shit driver. I already gave you the answer that it's Luke, but now I'm questioning myself, and it probably should be me. 
Mikey? All right. Um, well, that would be wrong because Luke said that you were also the best driver. So no points you for are better, you on like, that one. I'm not a bad driver, but I am an infrequent driver. And so for those reasons, you drive significantly longer distances for significantly longer times. You're probably a better driver in that sense. I, I, would, I would give it to you. Yes. Thank you. Now, it's right. also because you're listening to Ravi Shankar, you know, free bass fentanyl and do, you know, strumming on the sitar for seven and a half hours. And so you just kind of zone out and let your body take over. But I just want to be clear. BC, driving is not a man skill. Driving in the rain or snow is also not a man skill. No, that's what you're very wrong, clear. That, 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 that's, that must be said from a guy who doesn't have those skills then. That, that's the only justification. No, like, it's a guy who actually doesn't have real man skills thinks that driving is a man skill. That's the I mean, reality. look, drive along. I, I once drove after, after um, being at a Milwaukee Brewers game. It's the second the ninth inning ended, I got in a car and drove 19, no, 17 straight hours from Milwaukee back to my hometown in Augusta, Connecticut. Looked straight through, okay? Overnight. Bitch, I've done road trips from California to D.C. with other Marines, and we saw the sun come up twice, motherfucker. You couldn't even possibly Yeah, but you're switching that. off. I drove the family to Florida straight through three years ago, Luke, okay? That's what I'm talking right. about. But, yeah, you are a better driver, right? Because I don't, I don't drive that much. I guarantee he's better. Yeah. All right. All right, question four. BC or Luke, what is BC's favorite movie? Well, whatever it is, it's probably good, not great. So for that reason, and he because he talks about it incessantly, I'm going to say The Godfather is BC's favorite movie. Ah, uh, that's incorrect. In the, that's in the top three or four, but no, Luke. I mean, there's a poster on my wall of me substituted in for the main character that the great web scream Christopher Christos Christophoros made for me. Luke, it's 1917. Come on, guy. That's your favorite movie of all time? Yeah, it is. And there's nothing that you know you can say that'll take me oh off of this God, uh, soapbox. Dude, here. that is sad. Okay, it's a cinematic let's see if you classic, can get mine. Luke. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great movie. I have nothing bad to say about it, but like best all time, it's not even top one thousand. It's my favorite movie. What else? I mean, what, I, I could have said Uncut Gems, Luke. Okay, would that have made you even more mad? Yes, the Safdie brothers are, you know, talented but annoying. I could have said Star Wars Episode Four, then A New Hope. Luke, would that have been okay? Rogue One, I could have said. Oh, that would have been even worse. All right, guess mine, fuckface. <laughs> um, I forgot what I guessed for Luke's. Um, Mikey, what did I guess? It I wasn't right, so take another guess. Okay, what I guessed was wrong, so I guess I got to go Dumb and Dumber. Hold on, hold on, BC, BC, or uh, Mikey, what did he formally guess? Like, what did he write to you? He formally guessed. Let me just pull out that rundown. I'm glad that we have all these graphics to go with. Yeah, this, yeah, this really... is a great show. I mean, there's yeah. no bells and whistles whatsoever, and it's dragging. Hey, good job having that at the ready, Mikey. Very prepared. <laughs> Brian said that your favorite movie was uh, Stripes. Falling Down. Stripes, huh? that's it. Yes, Stripes. Stripes. Stripes? Are you... <laughs> You reference it more than any other, so I had to go stripes. <laughs> I barely reference it at all. And in front of you had a conversation on Saturday with Ashley about my favorite movie. Literally in fucking front of you, dude. Oh, it in was like, because it was some Kurosawa thing, and you went on this tangent about how Americans will never be as good as Asians with, with a camera. That's, that's not what I said. That's actually not what I said at all, at whatsoever, but okay. Uh, the answer is Ron by Akira Kurosawa, you fucking dope. 
How did you not get that? That's insane that you didn't get that. I mean, like Kurosawa, you know, I, I, I make mad films, Luke. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't know. What do you want from me? I don't know you that well. In fact, maybe this is a sign, Luke, that we should go our separate ways. All right? All right. Let's go next, BC. But, right. my, my, Mikey, let's burn through these. It's taking forever. <laughs> you guys are the ones taking the time. Question, f- question five. If your spouse was a pro fighter, who would they be? BC. Oh, uh, Luke would be Roy Nelson, without question. <laughs> and um, I would I'd probably be like Mayhem Miller. Before the meltdown. Luke, like I have you, a flair for it, the dramatic, you know, not everyone would my art. Just you, the certainty with which you gave me Roy Nelson is honestly hysterical. I, even I have to laugh at that. Uh, I said if Brian were a pro fighter, because he won't shut the fuck up about him, he'd be Zabit Megamed Sharapov, yes. although obviously there's no relationship with That's an artsy pick. I love that. Yes. yes. And I said Matt Brown, because even though I no longer look like it, there was a time where Matt Brown and I had overlapping looks, yeah. and everyone used to make fun of me for it. So I would Different say Matt backbones, Brown. but, you know, that's all right. All right. No points right, awarded. Next. Question six. BC, who is Luke's favorite band or artist? Cannibal Corpse. Uh, he had two answers on there, and it is not on there. No, no, it's what the it's one you cannibal? guys focus wait, wait, hold on. on. No. That's that's not your favorite band. No, no, dude, it's the one that you focus on for reasons that I. Can, I mean, dude, look over my, the top of my right ear, BC. How is this that fucking hard for yeah, you? I really cannot Pantera. believe you're that. You're right. You're right, Luke. You do love Pantera. I was go- I was going to guess like. Vinny Paz next, or you know, something. That's fine. Honestly, I would have I would have halfway accepted that. That would have been a decent pick. Uh, BC for you, I put. So I, the way I had framed it was like best all time versus like my favorite right now. So I put all time for you Beatles, and I put right now currently Portugal the man. Oh wow! Both, I love both of those choices. Uh, I was the Beatles for a long ass time. Then it was Dylan and Hendrix. It's Joni Mitchell right now though, Luke and uh, Joni Mitchell. I mean, she's a she's a, just a a brilliant alien creature. Yes, Luke. You know, just I mean. I'm in her jazz era, and I and, I'm, and I won't leave. You can't get me out of it, Luke. Okay. Okay. I All still right. think I should get a point. I think I should get a point, Mikey. One. I mean, we'll Mikey, you can give him a pity point because obviously I'm running away with this thing. <laughs> Keep it going. All right. Question seven. BC, who would play Luke in a movie? <laughs> who? Would I mean, play you, Luke? you, Jose. Before who you answer you? this, let me say, let me say something. Let me say something. BC, remember. They're going to make me look better than I am. You don't have to go with Danny DeVito or, or Jonah Hill. You can be nice. All you right. can be nice. I think I nailed it here. All right? Brendan Fraser. I don't hate that pick. It's not right, but I don't hate that pick. Like, he's not like an action. He's not like, like, he became, like, you know, for a short period, he was like A, a- list extreme. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't hate that. You know what? I'll take that pick. Because there was, a, I remember when Frazier, I remember when Brendan Fraser was a bit of an it guy in Hollywood. I remember he had his moment. It was fleeting, but he had his moment. I'll take that pick. That's not so bad. Yeah, that's not like the you, answer I wrote for myself, though. You kind of hated him, but you respected his game. I think that's what how people look at you, Luke. You know. All right, so Luke wrote Arnold for himself, so that would be wrong. Of course, dude. I had to write Schwarzenegger for myself. I'm not saying it's in any way reflective of reality. In fact, it's just nothing but wishful thinking. But now, that's Mikey, the way it would be. You asked me who I thought Luke would pick, and I wrote down that he would pick Arnold for himself. Yes. And that who would he pick for me? Well, no. We, All right. For Let you, Luke go. Let I Luke. picked. Yeah. For you, I picked Danny McBride, the guy who plays Kenny Powers. That's who I picked. 
Mikey, who did I pick for myself? Uh, Rocco Sofredi. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, yes. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, it just, you know. I mean, does anything tell you how out of his mind BC is? Then for me, he picks Roy Nelson and for himself, a, a like a viciously angry porn star. I mean, look, he won't have a lot of opportunities to use his greatest acting tool, you know, if you will. But, uh, you know, I didn't give him as many opportunities. But, um, yeah, I think that'd be a great fix. Uh, who did I say that Luke would say would play me? I thought I'd be getting points for this part. No, no, no. That's how it cross-corrects. That's how it cross-checks to get the point. Okay. All right. Um, All right so question number eight. Luke is, or BC is leading three to one. What is your spouse's favorite junk food? So what is your co-host's favorite junk food? BC. BC, uh, I said that your favorite junk food would be gas station hot dogs. If that's wrong, then fuck your life. Nailed it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my favorite snack food is pork. Hot dogs, um, beef, hot dogs, whatever you got for me, Luke. Uh, yours, I put French fries. Ooh. Not, I mean, I do. I mean, who doesn't love French fries? But no, that's not my favorite. Mm-mm. Okay. My favorite would be ready for this, and you're gonna laugh at me because everyone laughs at this. Twizzlers. I love Twizzlers. Oh, okay, okay. Twizzlers. Okay. My wife. And if I go to the movies, if I go to the movies, my wife gets the popcorn. And then my go-to is I get the drink, and then I get the Twizzlers. That's my go-to. Oh, my gosh. My wife and father love Twizzlers as well on that level, which is weird because you look like my father, and you are my editorial life mate. That sounds like a good combination in your life. That is who I am. You can call me dad. It's okay. I'll let you. (laughs) All right. Question number nine. Poppy Gringo, is that you? (laughs) I mean, that is kind of my life. I have no All idea right. how Reddit works. Keep going. Keep que- question going. number nine. BC, who is Luke's celebrity crush? This is so fucking easy. Uh, Salma Hayek. Yes. I mean, come on. Who doesn't? I mean, how do you go wrong with that one? Now, I struggled on this one for you, BC, because your taste in women is weird. No, this is extremely easy if you know BC. Well, what is your guess, I, I feel like I know BC really well, but I, I, feel, I feel like I... <laughs> You're going to love my pick. I think if my pick is really good. <laughs> Be, tell him, Mikey. Oh, you're not going to say it? No, right. you should say it. I want to see his face. Luke's pick was... Can you keep the list in front of you Kathy for fuck's sake? <laughs> I have nine different screens up. Kathy Bates. From Misery? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Dude, BC loves nothing more than women who look like, you know... They're serving you sloppy joes on a on a on a Thursday. I mean, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Okay. Who is your fucking celebrity crush? I don't know. The real answer is Sean Johnson. I did tell you that, but I put down as the answer, uh, you want a champion. I wanted to give you a chance oh. to get it right. Luke. Okay. If you uh, had told me it was a fighter, I could have gotten it. I could have yeah. gotten it. Yeah. All right. All right. All Next. right. Question number ten, BC. What is Luke's dream job? Uh. Desk analyst at the fights. Oh, God, I would accept. You know what? Hold on. Mikey, that's not what I wrote you, but I would accept that because I've had these conversations with BC, so that's not technically what I wrote, but um, I think BC should get credit for it because I think he's right. All right, point awarded to BC. What did he write? He wrote Tell him, Mikey. You both already have your dream. You both already have your dream jobs. Oh, that's wow. true. I did write that. 
Oh, wow. Am I wrong, BC? Oh. Well, you're not, because I wrote down for my dream job, uh, you know, co color commentary for, for boxing, which, yeah, I'm kind of doing, plus MK is, without question, 300 episodes in. Yeah, Luke, this is. All right, no. if BC gets a point, I should get a point. Yeah, you All should. Right, no, no, I'm not trying to be emotional for the sake of it, but, you know, this gets me out of bed very happy every morning, Luke, that we do yeah. this show, okay? Agreed, agreed. All right, it is five to three in favor of BC heading into question 11. Which celebrity couple are you most like? Luke. I wrote Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote down, I predicted what you would say for uh, us, and my prediction was that you would say we are Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is such a good choice, but no, that's not the direction I went. That it, what, what, was the, what was your honest answer? My answer was uh, Rocky and Tisha. Rocky and Tisha? Who the fuck is that? Uh, UFC fighters. You don't know anything about their lives. What kind of a fucking answer I, is that? I follow them on Instagram, Luke. What do you want from oh. me? All right. Well, that, that one's a wash. Next. <laughs> All right. Question 12. Name the best gift they ever gave you, Luke. So am I answering the one I gave to BC or what he gave to me? The best gift that he gave to you. And we'll cross check it with what he wrote down. Okay, so this is very easy. BC has literally never gotten me a gift. So the answer is nothing. Mikey, what did I write down for Luke's prediction of what I gave him? That, that is nothing. a point for BC. He said... Uh, yes, thank Go, BC. you. Uh, and then for mine, I did write down that Luke would say that um, the only thing I've given him is... Uh, or no, the only thing he's ever given me was an audience, but I didn't write that down. My greatest gift that Luke's ever given me was uh, the time he bought $59 worth of Taco Bell in that Jersey City hotel room prime pandemic when he was like, oh, you hungry? You want something? What, did you eat? What do you want? You? And then here's like, every, like the, the most amount of Taco Bell of all time. It was like, you know, yeah, that was, uh, that was a good night. We, we, I, I nailed it. Did I not? Did I not? Yeah, yeah, you did. That was a great gift. That was, you know, two friends just bonding over just, you know, fast food. It was great. It was fantastic. All right. The last question, we'll start with you, BC. Who said I love you first? This is so fucking easy, and don't you dare lie about it, motherfucker. Don't you dare lie about it. I, what did I write? None of us? Oh, no, I said the audience. Oh, you're so wrong, dude. I've told you I loved you multiple times. I never meant it, but that's not what I... That's not, right. That has no bearing on whether I've said it before. The answer is Luke, yeah, yeah. All right, so what's the so final score there with this the with this sexless, entertainmentless game? Brian Campbell seven, Luke Thomas five. Oh, you, oh. it's like the Canelo fight, BC. You barely got away with one. Congrats on three hundred episodes, guys. Uh, Luke, Thanks. Three hundred episodes, which means nothing. Like probably. Yeah, I know. I gotta tell you, like I remember I, we used to grill Bjorn Rebney. Because we, we came up on Bellator 100, and we were all, all the media was like, okay, what you going to do for Bellator 100? He was like, nothing. I'm just another regular show. And we're like, see, this guy lacks the, you know, the pizzazz yeah. a fight promoter needs. Now I look back, and I'm like, dude, you know, I don't really give a fuck that this is 300 or not, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, it's probably got the same street value in the end of the, of the awards that we won, even though I, I give those more values because that was the fans getting out and voting for us. But, Luke, as we look back on 300, which means – um. We started in July 2019, so we're coming up on three years this summer. 
Wow, Luke, we're here. Do you have any, um, do you have one moment? Is it still the live show ending? That's still the one moment for me, Luke. The live show ending, Poiwi Wei Connor 3 last yeah, year. Yeah, that's the top. That's the top of the food chain right there. Um, but One day we'll, think, we'll have a reunion with those those exact folks, Luke, who were there. Dude, right? that, that that international fight week is going to be huge. It's going to be huge. Yeah. Um, do you have any other favorites, Luke? Best episode, best guest, best anything? 300? Um, we haven't had many guests, and part of the biggest ones we've had, we've not even told the audience about yet, so there's that. I don't know, dude. Just I got to say, like... I just wake up every time and all the institutional support that we have for me is, I mean it, dude, it's a dream come true. I've been in places yeah. where you didn't get any any institutional support. And to have all of the one stuff that we have here, it's like, do I have a particular, oh, you know, like when we did the wheel, I did the karaoke, that was a pretty good episode of the wheel, for example, like stuff like that. Um, you know, and there's been fun post-fight shows that we've done. But honestly, I feel like, I really mean this, I do feel like we're just getting started to be, to be totally candid. So 300, great. Here's the 300 more. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we can come up with ridiculous ideas in, you know, Showtime's like, yeah, let's do that. Okay, great. You know what I mean? The fact that they're like, let's staff a documentarian on every trip Brian and Luke go on. I, I love it. I love it. And it's nothing, though, without these great people. So it's a shout out to all of you who have liked, subscribed, spread the word like a STD on a college campus, voted for us at various turns, sending in all your shit each week for us to, to laugh with. Um Damien the Donk got a tattoo. Look, Damien the Donk got a tattoo on his arm of us, of, of this logo right here. I know. Isn't That's that wild? wild? That's wild, Luke. That's totally crazy. So I, I might get one if we uh, hit some other milestones. But for now, I'll just say, yeah, super grateful to everyone who's been here. But, like, I really mean that. Like, we've, bar- we, we've done a lot in 300 episodes. Not to say that we haven't, but, like... There's a lot of stuff we haven't even tried yet, haven't even had a chance to do yet, and, and I know we will. So I'm very excited and, and very uh, bullish on our future, BC. Yeah, yeah, I'm bullish as well. I like that. I like that. I like the use of that. This is great. All right, as a reminder, we went over it today. Bellator on Friday, Charlo Castaño 2 on Saturday. You can get both for free if you don't already have them. Showtime.com. You get a 30-day free trial. If you like it, stick around. If not, go do something else. It's entirely up to you. You want to reach the show, morningcombat at gmail.com. That is for today's fan subs, Friday's Dead Wrongs, or just to reach the show for whatever reason you might have. Morningcombat.store. You can get BC's shirt. You can get BC's mug. All kinds of different fun stuff. That's the place to visit. Uh, BC, I think I'll have a video coming out tomorrow that'll be a little bit fun to watch here on the MK channel. I don't want to tease too much, but it's an opinion okay. video, so that should be kind of fun. Yeah, um, and YouTube then Friday dot- we will have... A, say again? I was going to say YouTube.com slash Morning Combat to find that. Also, our chat with Rich Franklin, the one championship vice yes. president, Hall of Famer. Uh, it was That's out re- right now as well. People It'd be nice to have it. social assets I could use to promote it. You know, I'm just thinking you know, out loud. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it'd be nice it'd be nice if, if those things existed um you know theoretically speaking so there you have it all right uh want to thank the crew today at malka cbs sports and showtime that's brian campbell i'm luke thomas back on friday live 11 a.m in the east plus stuff between now and then and until then may all of your gains be loyal